And we are starting with verse 26. Now, I'm not remembering if we did this last time. So does anybody remember whether we did Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? We did. So we are not starting with that. But I'm going to focus on 32 and 33 because we didn't spend a lot of time on that. And, and because Ed has a question to talk about. So now, the, this is uh, when Philip gets into the chariot with the man, with the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, he is reading the scripture that is in Isaiah, what we call Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. I would guess that this may be the Septuagint version of that passage, because the Hebrew Masoretic text says something different. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but anyway, we won't go there today. What is your question again? Would you please raise it? Ed? Well, in looking at that, we're uh, have a it's part of our genetic makeup the part of the, is the that we're separated from God and that when we're born we're born um, with this uh, evil nature sinful heart so when we're born we're not like sort of just plopped into the a room full of sin it's part of our nature and then we make decisions what we're going to do. But a lot of the verses starting in Genesis talk about Christ being led as the lamb and the sacrifice. And in the whole Jewish sanctuary, the way we understand the sanctuary, as I've been taught, it sounds like when he died on the cross, all the sins are just placed onto him, past, present, and future. It's a one time forever. Which means it's doesn't talk about how we're then brought in concert with God, righteousness. What does it mean that Christ bears our sins? This is about removal. The word to bear is also to lift up, oh. to bear off. So is that just the axe? or is that to lift off the human condition? I, 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 my understanding is that Jesus bore our sins at the cross. That is, it was like he, he had the weight of sin and of the world on him. And it was like he could think all the thoughts that we think that are sinful. Uh, only he, he chose not to, mm. but those still were bearing on him, and their consequences were bearing on him. Mm. And so he suffered in consequence of sin to demonstrate that God was telling the truth when he said, if they, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Sin will destroy you. Sin will kill you. Mm. So I see uh, Christ's death as reclaiming us from that lie. Okay. You will surely die. And that's why he, there had to be something external to us. Um, it's not just all that he does in in our hearts. Mm. There's that aspect too. 
I do believe in, in, that he suffered vicariously, that his, he suffered uh, as we would, as we will suffer if we reject him uh, and suffer the full consequences of our sins. Uh, he experientially came to terms with what we go through so that he would know how to help us. And, and that's something we've been reluctant to believe. We think God knows everything uh, without having experienced it. Uh, and, and he just can act out of his godness. Mm. But the truth is that God deliberately came to this earth in the person of Jesus in order to be able to experience what we went through, because otherwise, how would he be able to communicate with us? Mm. That even God cannot communicate with us without the incarnation. Wow. Uh, Ellen White makes that very clear. I oh. just I just read a, a passage this week, I think, or last week, where she makes that very clear. Which book was it? That was in a little devotional that I may know him. Mm. Um, I would have to look that up. I think it was uh, in the Youth Instructor or Review and Herald or maybe a letter. Mm. I don't remember. You said he cannot communicate with us. He cannot communicate with us so that we would understand him. It's the understanding part, except through the incarnation. To help us understand him or for God to understand us? Um, For him... He had to experience us, our okay. our world, right. in order to be able to communicate to us. Okay. It's true. If he hadn't been showing that character of God, we didn't know. We no. didn't know that God is a mean God, killer God. Mm-hmm. That's true. So um, that's how I see I, I see that whole thing playing out. Mm. Uh, it is all for us. But it still had to be something outside of us doing it in order for us to get the message clear. It's one way of looking at it, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but um, a father tries to teach his son how to run in front of cars. Um, And the son insists on running in front of cars, no matter what the father does. I mean, he does everything in his power to teach this young man that he is not to run in front of cars. And one day, uh, the father realizes the only way the son is going to uh, stop running in front of cars is for him to demonstrate. Hmm. And and so he, the son is about to run in front of a car, and the father gets in between him and the car and pushes him up hmm. away from the car, and the car hits the father. Hmm. And the son gets the point. Hmm. This is what will happen to you if you run in front of cars. Hmm. Now that's a, that's a a very poor analogy in some ways because it doesn't it doesn't embrace the magnitude and and that's the whole sacrificial system it's an outline it isn't the full picture right and I I think that too often we have let it be the full picture the full picture right it is not the full picture there's so much more involved than than what is actually stated in the sacrificial system okay yeah. That'll give me some meat to work with now. Thank you. So, um, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. This is all about the passive, nonviolent Jesus, who is like a sheep being led to the slaughter. I remember as a youngster, um, there was a 
I don't know what it was called. I can't remember the name of it anymore, but it was a big, it was a big operation that was uh, animal husbandry. And it was kind of like a fair, but it, it was an ongoing thing all the time. And uh, the elementary school I attended decided to take all those kids to see it so that we could see all the different animals and how they were dealt with. And, and of course, they had chickens in cages and they had, um, I don't know, horses, donkeys, I suppose, everything there. And, and cows. They had a lot of cows. And they had sheep. And it happened to be spring and sheep shearing season. Mm. Early spring, March or February. And they were taking these sheep and putting them on their backs and starting to shear them. And I can remember that, them lying there like this. <laughs> no protest. <laughs> there were a few sheep who struggled to get in that position. You know, they, didn't, they knew what was coming and they didn't mm. like it. But... Um, but the rest, you know, once they got there, they were just there while they were being sheared. That's the picture here. Only sheep will do the same thing when they're being slaughtered. A sheep that is attacked by a, a uh, coyote or a wolf will just lift up their neck so that the, the animal can get a better bite at their juggler vein. Is it true? Mm -hmm. I read that in a children's book on sheep herding in Arizona. And the lamb is silent before the shearer. So he does not open his mouth. Hmm. Now that doesn't mean Jesus said nothing during his trial. He talks back in John. Uh, if, if so, why did you hit me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's a little bit of talk back. But there's no railing, there's no accusation, there's no, there's an intent to engage. And when that is not allowed, he remains silent. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. This was an unjust, I believe the Masoretic text says, uh, by injustice, he was taken away. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? So when the, when the apostles thought about Jesus' sacrifice, they thought a lot about how he behaved. Why did they think a lot about why he behaved? Well, I guess it was contrary to their expectation of the Christ. It was very contrary, okay. What else did it link to? Well, their human condition was to fight, to struggle, and yeah. But they know that just as Jesus bore His cross and died a cruel death, so they would be called to suffer for Him. Hmm. They soon would be carrying their cross to be beaten, to be scourged, to be put in prison. Uh, to be mis uh, misaligned, and mis misinterpreted. And, um, I've been reading this little pamphlet about Martin Luther, and he was saying the same thing, that the nature of preaching Jesus and staying close to Jesus in the Word is to be persecuted. Yeah. It works. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Um, 
So, Philip tells him this is Jesus and that this was, uh, this is the person, this is the Messiah. This is the one you're to believe in. And he also shared, shared with him the good news about Jesus, that he came to save the world in this way. Now, I want to make it clear something, that the violence with which Jesus was treated is not in itself salvific. Jesus is not in itself salvific. Violence itself is not our savior. It may help us draw closer to Jesus. It may provide an impetus to draw closer to Jesus. But it is not itself our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Um, and, and that needs to be be understood. And he does, it doesn't tell us how he unpacked that. The, the main emphasis is on how Jesus suffered as an example for us. And I want to differentiate between... Jesus' suffering is an example for us to suffer for his namesake. I want to differentiate from persecution, between persecution and oppression of someone because of their skin color or someone because of their gender or someone because of their nationality or their religion. Um, to suffer for Jesus is all part and parcel of being his follower. Hmm. Uh, the other kinds of sufferings, I think we should never make those people feel that this suffering is necessary for their salvation. I think we do them a grave disfavor when we do that. Because they're not suffering for Jesus. They're suffering because of a wrong picture of Jesus. And they're suffering for something else other than Jesus. So I like to separate out persecution from um, the oppression of people. and Because what has happened is a wrong view of the atonement has been used to make people who suffer from skin color or what have you uh, feel that they need to just, that this suffering is good for them, it's, it's appropriate, it's justified. Because look how Jesus suffered. It's, it's a very wrong picture of the atonement that has led to that. It's the penal substitutionary view. Well, that started with uh, Abraham then, when he's with the, the handmaiden, and then starts up holding the track. So uh, those people deserve to suffer because they were born into that track? How, did, how would that make you feel if you were in that track? Well, you yeah. through no choice of your own, you were born into that exactly. track. Exactly. Yeah. And I suppose that it might be part of the logic how slavery was could be so supported well, by and, Christians. And that is exactly um, that is exactly how it's been abused. Um, the surrogacy, the substitution of women, you know, having to give children to their master. Hmm. Um, and being told, you know, like, you know, just as Jesus did not open his mouth, you cannot protest. Hmm. A little different angle, like maybe it's a different lesson, but it strikes me again 
When did baptism submersion start? Because I don't remember that so much in the Old Testament, like Abraham was baptized. It started, uh, I, I don't know, it started sometime in Judaism uh, with proselytes. And it was in commemoration. The reason they did it for, did baptism for proselytes is because they did not view themselves as needing baptism mm -hmm. because their ancestors, they went to the Red Sea and that was their baptism. Mm -hmm. That's why Paul likens baptism to the Red Sea crossing. Uh, they, they, their ancestors were baptized going to the Red Sea and they were baptized in the loins of their ancestors. Mm -hmm going to the Red Sea. Therefore, they did not need baptism, but the proselytes having no ancestral ties to the Red Sea experience had to be baptized. So that's where it began. So John comes along and says, repent and be baptized. What? We, we were baptized in the lines of our ancestors. You don't need to talk to us about baptism. No, I mean it. Repent and be baptized. So he, he was revolutionary. But that's where it's, that's, that's the historical tie. Because, I mean, this, this eunuch, you know, he says, well, now he wants to be baptized. Like, where did he get this? You know, um, there's a theory, and a, a kind of widespread suspicion, that this eunuch was part of a people group in Ethiopia who were uh, tied to King Candace, Queen Candace, I'm sorry, who, uh, may, uh, who went to Jerusalem to visit Solomon, mm. and she maybe stayed there a while, mm. and maybe was one of his many, many wives, mm. and that she brought back Judaism to the Ethiopians. Because there's a whole uh, subgroup of Ethiopia that's very quite dominant, mm. that has they trace their Christian roots all the way back to Judaism. Right. So he would know about all that. I don't know if we dare start with Saul now. Well, let's let's start with the first part. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Don't you love the name, the way? It comes from more than one place, right? Um, doesn't it come from Buddhism, where they, they, something about, I was just reading about it in history, where they, uh, they called their, something in their religion, um, the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, to, this, this comes, I think, from Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, oh. and the life. Um, so they belong to the way. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you? And it says, Lord, he means sir. This is, this is not, he's not knowing who this person is, but uh, he's simply respectfully calling him Lord. The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But he got up, but get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
Can you imagine the 180 degrees that this took Paul, Saul? Talk about a paradigm shift. He thought he was so right. And he had the right to to harass people and put them in jail because his God would do that. He would do worse to them. And so he was doing this great work and he lands on his face with a voice telling him why are you persecuting me and then finds out that that voice belongs to Jesus whom he totally despises now in the later telling of the story Paul adds some words when he retells the story in various places God says, or Jesus says, why do you kick against the goads? Which means that Saul had a very troubled conscience. I think all persecutors at some point in their journey have a very troubled conscience. But what would enable him to believe that that was Jesus speaking to him? Because others had Jesus before him, they don't believe. But what... In something in his nature and I think I think that life. God I think that God picked the right time. Hmm. His conscience was had been bothering him. I mean, he he participated in the stoning of Stephen. He didn't yeah. throw stones, but he kept the clothing for the men who did uh, and guarded it. And um, apparently, he was considered young. Hmm. He was like the youngest member of the Sanhedrin. And so he, he, he was breathing out threats. He was, he was trying to salve his conscience by being all the more persecutory. Mm. So within himself, he wasn't settled. No. He was not. And I probably overstated it when I said he was completely, dis, you know, dis, completely rejecting of Jesus. I don't think he was completely rejecting mm. of Jesus. He struggled. He must have struggled over Stephen's death. Stephen's death must have haunted him. Mm. Here's this man saying, "Lord, lay not these, these lay not, uh, do not charge these these people's sins to their account." Mm. How could he do that? The, his face shining like an angel, mm. sees the heavens open, Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know, all of that must have just really made him wrestle, which is why he went out breathing threats and fuming and, and fussing all the more, because he had to still that voice. Had to be wrong. Couldn't be right. So maybe that was part of his reaction, the breathing out threatening and slaughter mm-hmm. <laughs> against the disciples of mm-hmm. the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, he must have been really conflict. He was a miserable man. Note here that salvation is coming to Paul. And what is it that wins Paul? What is it that saves him? Well, his acceptance. Doesn't Jesus save him by coming to him so dramatically? Right. Totally changing his, his paradigm mm-hmm. shift? Hmm. Or making his paradigm shift. You think of Ananias thinking like, "Are you sure it's Jesus talking to me?" 
I mean, I got to go through this plus Saul. <laughs> yeah. Worried about him. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get interesting moving on. But let's stop with this, and we may back up and do it again hmm. a little bit next time. But um, our time is up. All right. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for the many ways in which you reach people. There are times when we wish that you would do more Damascus Road experiences for people who are hard-headed and misrepresenting you to others. But you know their hearts and you know what can best reach them. But we pray that you will be free to make yourself known to every single person on this planet. We pray that we, you may use us toward that end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm.